and welcome to this week's episode of Great Lakes Gossip. We're here with our hosts, Shannon, Tori, Noel, and me, Caroline. On this episode, we will be addressing our nation's president, Joe Biden, in hopes of stressing the impending dangers of the United States carbon emissions, as well as the renewable energy resources that need to be immediately implemented. Noel, could you tell us a little bit more about the stress of our energy consumption? Yeah, so first off, let's talk a little bit about what oil consumption looks like in the U.S. So 40% of the U.S. oil, of our U.S. oil needs are met from our own rigs, and the remaining comes from countries such as Canada, Mexico, and Saudi Arabia. Oil is one of the most widely used sources of energy in the U.S. and is mostly used for transportation purposes. During the pandemic, the use of oil has decreased. However, the rates we are using oil are still very unsustainable. Could you tell us a little bit more about the history and predictions of oil in the U.S.? Over the past 50 years, energy consumption has increased substantially. However, oil and coal have decreased in consumption while natural gas has increased. By 2050, there will be 1.5 billion more people on the earth and electricity will account for a quarter of our total energy demand. Because of this, our oil stores will run out quickly if we do not find other sources. Shannon, can you elaborate on what Hubbard's Peak is and how it affects our fossil fuel consumption? Okay, so Hubbard's Peak states that fossil fuel consumption will eventually peak and then begin to decline. This decline may already be happening and can be devastating for the economy as fuel prices rise and make it difficult to get substantial energy. So, what's the relationship between increased oil consumption and carbon dioxide? Well, in 2013, oil accounted for 41% of the U.S.'s carbon emissions from fossil fuels. In order to prevent temperatures rising in the atmosphere, oil must be left in the ground. Burning oil releases CO2 and other toxic gases. These gases can cause respiratory problems, cancer, and contaminate drinking water. So how does this relate to carbon sinks? Well, the main natural carbon sinks are plants, the ocean, and soil. Plants grab carbon dioxide from the atmosphere to use in photosynthesis, and many marine organisms absorb and store carbon as well. With deforestation and the destruction of marine habitats, these sinks have been diminishing. With nowhere to store carbon, it will over time become more concentrated in our atmosphere, intensifying the effects of carbon pollution. As we can see, this is a pressing issue that affects the planet and its people. If you care about the future of your citizens, you will respond and take action against this carbon crisis. Okay, Shannon, can you introduce us to the future of sustainability? Yes, so hybrid cars have taken the world by storm over the past few years as we seek new means of fuel and environmental efficiency. These cars are powered by an internal combustion engine as well as an electric motor, hence the hybrid title. The electric motor uses energy stored within batteries. Now, you must be thinking, so does that mean that the car needs to be charged? In this case, the car does not need to be charged as the battery is charged through the regenerative braking and the internal combustion engine. Now on to the environmental impacts and viability of this source. A study by the U.S. Department of Energy's Argonne National Laboratory showed that hybrid cars require more energy to produce than conventional cars. These vehicles emit more greenhouse gases during production and burn more fossil fuels throughout the manufacturing process. 
The batteries used within the cars require an exceptional amount of energy to create when compared to the conventional car battery. The overall production definitely has room for improvement, but so do most things in our world today. So do the benefits of the car's usage outweigh those downsides? Well, if both a conventional and a hybrid car are driven for 160,000 miles, the conventional car ends up requiring far more energy to operate and maintain. The conventional car also emits far more greenhouse gases over its lifetime when compared to hybrid vehicle options, so the benefits arguably do outweigh the costs. We must consider what is best for our planet and focus on the big picture. A tremendous benefit to the car's ex existence is the money saved on gas prices. According to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, the average mileage for a hybrid is at 38.7 miles per gallon, while the conventional car is only 26.7 miles per gallon. They require far less gas, gas and are able to cover the same distance. Their fuel efficiency and reduced emissions combine to show the car's viable aspects. The production process and expansivity of the hybrid will need alterations over time to improve, improve its eco-friendliness. The issue with the electricity powering them is that more than 45% of it is generated by coal-powered plants, thus supporting the fossil fuel industry. Problems with this source include its usage of lithium-ion batteries, which account for the majority of hybrid emissions. Benefits of the hybrid car include the gas prices for the owners and the reduced emissions produced by the car itself. It is currently flawed in the way that its components are produced. We strongly suggest that hybrid cars become a step in the right direction, but also to consider other options in the future as well, including electric cars, nuclear fusion, and wave energy. So Caroline, can you talk about electric cars? Yeah, so battery electric vehicles, or BEVs, use electricity stored in a battery pack to power an electric motor and turn the wheels. When depleted, the batteries are recharged using grid electricity, either from a wall socket or a dedicated charging unit. Most battery electric cars have a driving range of between 70 to 100 miles. So how do these cars compare to conventional cars? Well, greenhouse gas emissions from transportation account for about 28% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, making it the largest contributor of U.S. GHG emissions. Between 1990 and 2018, GHG emissions in the transportation sector increased more in absolute terms than any other sector. This contains of two emission types, direct emissions and life cycle emissions. Direct emissions are emitted through the tailpipe, through evaporation from the fuel system and during the fueling process. Direct emissions include smog-forming pollutants, other pollutants harmful to human health, and greenhouse gases, primarily carbon dioxide. All electric vehicles produce zero direct emissions, which specifically help improve air quality in urban areas. Life cycle emissions include all emissions related to fuel and vehicle production, processing, distribution, use, and recycling slash disposal. For example, a conventional gasoline vehicle emissions are produced when petroleum is extracted from the ground, refined to gasoline, distributed to stations, and burned in vehicles. Like direct emissions, life cycle emissions include a variety of harmful pollutants and greenhouse gases. All vehicles produced substantial life cycle emissions, and calculating them is very complex. However, electric vehicles typically produce fewer life cycle emissions than conventional vehicles because most emissions are lower for electricity 
generation than burning gasoline or diesel. Running on America's current electric grid, an all-electric Chevrolet Bolt, for instance, can be expected to produce 189 grams of carbon dioxide for every mile driven over its lifetime. This is accounting production as well as distribution byproducts. By contrast, a new gasoline-fueled Toyota Camry is estimated to produce 385 grams of carbon dioxide per mile, and a new Ford F-150 pickup truck, which is even less fuel efficient, produces 636 grams of carbon dioxide per mile. The major benefit of electric cars is the contribution they can make towards improving air quality in towns and city. For example, an electric car on the roads can save an average of 1.5 million grams of CO2. The emissions created during the production of an electric car tend to be higher than a conventional car. This is due to the manufacturing of lithium-ion batteries, which are an essential part of an electric car. More than a third of the lifetime CO2 emissions from an electric car come from the energy used to make the car itself. Research by the European Energy Agency found that even with electricity generated, the carbon emissions of an electric car are still around 13 or around 17 to 30% lower than driving a petrol or diesel car. So how viable is this source for consumers? The Union of Concerned Scientists show that 63% of prospective car buyers in America are interested in electric vehicles. Overall, 31% would consider one for their next purchase, 27% would consider one at some point down the road, and 5% say they are definitely planning on buying or leasing one for their next vehicle. Americans want these cars. An analysis of electric vehicles completed by CR experts earlier this year found that electric vehicles generally cost less to own over the long run than their equivalent gasoline-powered counterparts. On average, a gasoline a gallon of gasoline costs about twice as much as the comparable cost to run an electric car. The extra cost of manufacturing battery electric cars versus their fossil fuel equivalents will diminish to just 1,900 per car by 2022 and disappear completely by 2024, according to research by the investment bank UBS. The future of transportation is sustainable. Consumers want these cars for not only being carbon conscious, but also affordable. The only flaw with electric vehicles is the source of the electricity. Electric cars will be necessary for the future of our nation, but until we move away from a carbon-emitting power grid, these cars will never meet their true potential. Now on to Noelle, who will talk more about opportunities for renewable energy sources. The process known as nuclear fusion originated from the natural cycles of the sun. The sun's gravitational forces create the right conditions for fusion. Because of the difference in the Earth's gravitational forces, these conditions are much harder to achieve. Nuclear fusion requires the isotopes of hydrogen to be heated to temperatures as high as 15 million degrees Celsius. These isotopes are then kept under stable conditions and intense pressure, allowing the nuclei of the atoms to fuse together. Once fused together, the resulting nucleus will have a lower mass than the two original nuclei. This leftover mass is what we use as energy. After this occurs, the next step is to achieve ignition. This occurs when so many fusions occur that the fusion begins to sustain itself. Once ignition is 
is achieved, we are able to yield the energy needed from the heat produced to sustain. So how does nuclear fusion affect the environment? Nuclear fusion is one of the cleanest forms of energy. The main product of this process is helium. Helium is not radioactive, so there's no fear of harm harmful radioactive output. Along with that, there are no harmful greenhouse gas emissions caused by nuclear fusion, so it doesn't contribute to global warming. The two sources used in nuclear fusion are hydrogen and lithium. These two elements can be widely found throughout the world, making nuclear fusion also a very sustainable option. As we talked about earlier, nuclear fusion is most successful when it can sustain itself. This means that it produces more energy than it consumes, so it can keep going on its own. According to several studies, this could be possible by around 2025 to 2030. So how do the benefits of nuclear fusion compare to the costs? Because of the nature of the Earth, fusion is a difficult thing to produce. Since the nucleus of both atoms are positively charged, they repel one another, and this natural force keeps them from getting close enough to fuse together. Because of this, fusion requires extreme temperatures and pressures in order to overcome these forces. This presents another challenge because as you increase the temperature and pressure, the energy you put into the process quickly becomes more than what you get out. This prevents the process from becoming self-sustaining, which can make it less efficient than other forms of energy. Another major issue is the cost. The ITER Council approved the first nuclear fusion reactor that cost $6 billion. The cost of nuclear fusion is obviously not a very friendly number. However, there are several benefits as well. One being the fact that the elements needed, generally hydrogen, is abundant in nature. Secondly, once the system reaches a certain point, the process can keep going on its own, making it very sustainable. Being able to reach this point will take a lot of research because nuclear fusion is a newer form of energy. However, there are several dozen operating and being developed around the world. The world's largest project is being con conducted in France as part of the European Union and is leading the charge in nuclear fusion research. Several other countries, including Russia, China, and Japan, and a few others, are all working on this project to develop sustainable energy. I ask that you consider making the decision to join this list of nations as a leader in nuclear fusion research. While the concept may seem daunting and unpredictable, the benefits of nuclear fusion will last long into the future. Along with nuclear fusion, there are many other ways to get clean energy, one of these including wave energy. Wave power is produced by the up and down motion of floating devices placed on the surface of the ocean. In other words, wind produces waves and then waves produce energy. As the waves travel across the ocean, high-tech devices capture the natural movements of ocean currents and the flow of swells to generate power. As the wave moves, they will flex and bend as waves pass to produce a movement in the wave energy converter, the machine that transforms kinetic energy into electricity. So what are the environmental impacts of wave energy? The interaction between the waves may cause decreased wave height or change the wave angle. These slight changes also lead to sediment movement, changes in the current, and food delivery to certain aquatic organisms. These may seem like more negative effects, but there are actually many more positive effects than negative. Wave energy is renewable, reliable, and also doesn't emit any harmful gases. Wave energy can often be expensive to produce, often ranging from 10 to $30 million. 
This is only the cost to actually create the devices. Other money also has to be put in for each kilowatt, kilowatt of energy, which normally costs about eight cents per kilowatt. Wave energy is starting to expand, going from Portugal, the UK, and the United States even more. They all like the waves, that the waves are so easily accessible, so they decide to do it themselves. Wave energy should be used in order to provide a safer and cleaner environment. Americans want a cleaner future and a planet that can provide for generations to come. Implementing subsidies for electric and hybrid cars, as well as switching power grids across the country to nuclear fusion or wave energy, will not only meet the needs of your citizens, but it will set an example for nations across the world. We need clean energy, and we must act now. Thank you, Mr. President, for tuning in to this week's episode of Great Lakes Gossip. Bye! Bye.